Lord has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. I am really excited for what we're about to dig into. I'm going to ask you, this verse isn't in your notes, but I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles ready to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, we're going to look a lot of scripture, but I'd like you to key in on, in the beginning, 2 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5. All of it's 2 Corinthians, so that makes it easy. Then we'll go to John 15. So make sure you're in those places, especially 2 Corinthians 10 to open up. And here's why. We are called by Jesus to be his disciples. And when you're called to be a disciple, you have a purpose. You know who you're living for, it's the Lord, and you know what you're living for. And a lot of people in life are asking the question, what am I living for? We Hopefully you know the answer. And, and some are asking, who am I living for? And, and hopefully you know the answer to that. And then, this is the next piece of it. You should understand, hopefully, that we aren't called to be comfortable. We're called to enter in to taking the kingdom of God to the very gates of hell and take the gates of hell down. We're in a war. See, here, more than ever, we're in a war. And I want to show you that today and show you how a disciple uh, uh, finds power and strength in moments like this to encounter the battle we're in. And, and so what we're going to do, I'm going to pray. And then Casey is going to sing a song. And I want you to look at the words. Because this song was brought to us and I said, this is a discipleship song. This is a, a question about, am I going to fulfill my calling? Am I going to live the life I'm supposed to live? And I want you to watch the words and really pay attention to them. And then we'll dig in together. Father, I pray right now that you would just focus our minds on the right things. On your truth. On who you've called us to be, how you've called us to live. And I pray we would be more focused and more intentional after this morning as we study this together and agree with your word together in Jesus name. Amen.
Now, are you ready for this? That's a Katy Perry song. Now, are some of you shocked? I mean, I got to tell you, like, should we even do a Katy Perry song at church? Um, and, 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 not, and I'm not trying to put her down, but many of you know she was raised in a Christian home and was taught those values, and she isn't living for him right now. And, and hopefully she will come back one day. That'd be a great, great thing. She's got amazing talent. But I think it's interesting. There's someone... Who, who took these words and, and hasn't found their calling. They kind of drifted off from it. And, and, and when you look at that, it, it really is a discipleship call that you and I would know who we're living for. We'd know what we're living for. We would know we're in a war. We're in a battle. We're, now, now grab that. The Bible says it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Now I'm going to read on, but notice it's a battle of the mind. The majority of the battle that was not flesh and blood, it's going to be, are we going to take thoughts captive? Are we going to stand against things that rise up against the true knowledge of God and destroy it? And it says this, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience when obedience is complete. You see, we're in a battle. We're in a world that is not friendly towards the things of God. We're, we're in a, a place when we actually stand for the things of the knowledge of God and the word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. People aren't always going to like it. By the way, they didn't like what Jesus said so much, they crucified him. So we know there's going to be times they're going to stand against us. But here's the thing. The Lord said that shouldn't stop us. We should stand anyway. We should make sure and go forward anyway. And we need to be ready to take captive every thought that is wrong out there. I'm going to give you one that we can actually do something about, but get ready. Uh, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. I would assume most of you are. But in the state of California, if you have a daughter who's under the age of 18, are all of you aware she cannot get her ears pierced without your permission? Now, does everybody here know that? 
She can't just come home with the ears pierced unless she's lied because a no place will do it without your permission. Now, by the way, I want to say, I think that's a good thing. Are you probably aware at her, at her school, when you send her off to school, if she has a headache, they cannot give her a Tylenol without your permission. And I think that's probably pretty good. But I think you're also probably aware, or maybe you're not, that if your daughter who's under the age of 18 gets pregnant, and she doesn't want to tell you, she could go to school and go to a counselor, and that counselor can take her to an abortion clinic, and she can have an abortion procedure without your permission and without your knowledge. They can't give her a Tylenol. She can't get her ears pierced, but they could do that, that intense of a procedure upon her body. And I want to tell you, I think that's wrong. I think that we've got, as a church, we've got to stand against things like that. We need to be a moral voice. You know, are we going to be overly political? No. But when it comes to the areas of morality, this church ought to stand up and call this county and this state and this nation into account before the living God. And I'm really fired up about this, and I'll tell you why. Because I, for years, was a youth pastor, and it wasn't just once. It's too many times that I had a young girl come to a service and she'd start crying and I'd get with her afterwards. Pam and I would sit down and I'd say, what happened? Are you okay? And she'd say, no, I had an abortion today. My mom and dad don't know. And she's now in agony and pain and her parents don't know. In one case, in particular, this family I know who's a loving family, the daughter was scared. She just didn't want to disappoint her mom and dad. She goes to a, a counselor who never, ever says, really, go tell your parents. And all she's talked to is, this will happen. You know, you could do this and no one will know. Well, she was, they sent her to school that morning and the counselor took her to get an abortion done and they botched it. The first time the mom and dad knew is when they got a call that their daughter was in emergency. And they rushed over. She had to be put in critical care. They had, they had hurt her so badly. And, and I want to ask you, I want to have you think about this. There were lots and lots of medical bills. Who do you think had to pay? Not the school district. Not the state of California. By the way, this poor girl needed counseling. Who do you think paid for the counseling? The parents. And I want to tell you, that's wrong. And we're, we need to stand up. We need to make a difference. After the service today, outside near the rolling doors, we have, if you're registered to vote, and I hope you're registered to vote, you can sign a petition that says in the state of California from this point on, if we get this passed, that that cannot happen. The parents get to parent their children and take care of their children. And we need to stand up for things like that. Now, by the way, will that always be popular? No. But being a Christian isn't always popular, especially when you're standing against the gates of hell and against darkness trying to overwhelm. And the Lord called for us to live a life where we follow him and not every other voice that starts competing and coming its way. You and I need to grab for that. We're in a war. And we need to stand strong. And we need to, by the way, we need to stand up and stand against things that hurt people that hurt families. And we need to stand for a God's love and God's rescue and God's grace. We need to do that. We need to be doing those things. Jesus actually said these words in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So we need to be people who do what the Lord says. Jesus said these words constantly, follow me. 
Now, I, I actually found out I shocked some people. I'm a little surprised at this. When I shared that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ask someone to become a Christian. By the way, he doesn't. He asks them to become a disciple, and he even commands them to become a disciple. Now, the word Christian is a good word if it's understood correctly. The word Christian means one who belongs to Christ. And in the Bible, the word disciple is used 269 times. The word Christian is used three times. Every time it's used, it's used of someone who's a disciple. In um, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here's what I want you to grab hold of, is when we're called by Jesus, we're called to a life where we serve him, love him, and follow him, and that's who we are. In Matthew chapter 10, 24 and 25, Jesus defined what it means to be a disciple. And it's, it's right here in verses 24 and 25, he says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. So the first part of the definition of discipleship that Jesus gives us is this, If you and I are disciples, that means we're students, and he's the teacher, and we're servants, and he's the master. I'd like you to lock that in your mind. If you ever think, okay, what's a disciple? Right away go, it's a student and a servant. It's both. That I'm a student learning from him, seeking to learn from him, and learn his ways, and learn the truths, and I'm also a servant who serves him. That makes him the teacher, and him the master, and me the student, and him the servant. The next thing he says in verse 25 is this. It is enough. I love those words. He says, there, and, and by the way, that's not about a settling. It's enough. It's like, man, that's enough. It is enough. There's nothing better in life. Nothing more important in life. Nothing more in, in, impactful in life than I follow what he's about to say. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher and the slave like his master. It is enough that we do that. And so a disciple is a student and a servant who seeks to be like the one they're serving and learning from. That we want to be Christ-like. And in Romans chapter 8, it says it's God's destiny for you to be like Christ. For you to be molded into the image of his son. For you to take on the way he thinks and the way he acts and the way he loves and the things he does. And that you and I do that. It is enough that we do that. It's enough that we do that. Now, how does that happen? How does Christ-likeness take place? How do I become like him? Well, if I'm going to be a disciple, there are three things for sure that I must do. Three three things that, that literally permeate everything within my life. The first is this. I need to focus on him. I do not become a disciple by focusing on me. I become a disciple by focusing on him, by learning from him and learning of him. And that's what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. And I hope you're there. Look at this verses. These are cool. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, catch this are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, justice from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, two weeks ago, Tim Coop preached partially on this passage. The word transformed, almost all of you hopefully remember, and if you don't, go watch the message. It was incredible. It's where we get the word to metamorphosis. It's the idea that there's a, a radical change that takes place. And so you actually go through a metamorphosis of being transformed. 
Now, here's what I want you to remember that Tim said, because he said it so accurately, that when I become born again, when I surrender my life to the Lord, I am transformed in that moment. Now, now that's something that happens to everybody. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. It says, for any who are in Christ are a new creation. A new creation, something new. I'm not even just changed. I'm, 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 not, I'm changed, I'm different, I'm metamorphosized into something brand new. I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So that's a point in time when I'm born again, transformation takes place. Now, while that is all true, there's another truth that, that doesn't counteract it, it complements it, and it's this. I'm also being transformed. And that's what this passage says. By the way, in a minute, I'll show you another one that says, and in a moment of time, you'll be transformed like you can't imagine. So you are transformed in the moment, you're being transformed, and then there's the ultimate transformation, and that's what happens in our life. But I want you to key in on how that happens there. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. You're being transformed. Uh, Last uh, week, I can't remember if it was this service or the 1130, but um, coming right down this aisle over here was an, a man who was a grandfather. And he was walking down here, and because of his age, he was coming a little slower. And he was with his granddaughter, who, by the way, you ready for this? She, on her card, was praying and fasting for these 40 days for her grandfather to come to know Christ. Isn't that cool? So he said yes to Jesus, and he's coming down the aisle, and he grabbed me right here really tightly, and he whispered in my ear, I want to be a butterfly. Isn't that cool? I want to, and, and, and you know, Tim's message, it got to him. And, and so, you know, he is, he's a brand new creation. But now, now God starts working on him even more. Now God starts working on you and me anymore. Now, how does it happen? Starting here, with unveiled face. You and I need to take the veil off. What does that mean? Nothing hidden. See, a lot of times people want to put on shows or, or give a pretense and instead of get to the reality of who we are. We need to be honest to God and honest with God and honest with self and honest with others. we got to take the veil off. Now, now, what does that mean? When I take the veil off, I'm not going to be perfect. When you take the veil off, you're not going to be perfect. By the way, are you ready? I had someone say, man, I don't know, you know, Chuck, you know, I know you're a pastor, but man, you've you got some messed up areas of your life. And I'm like, well, yeah, I do. And I'm not going to hide that. It doesn't mean it's okay. I want Jesus to change me. But you know what? I, I'm not going to hide it. Uh, the other week, a uh, guy grabbed me and said, hey, Pastor Chuck, uh, the other day I saw you driving. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, you cut me off. <laughs> he said, man, I drive, all of a sudden I get cut off, and that's my pastor. And I said, haven't I been honest that I'm a lousy driver? And by the way, I guess I'll meet Jesus before you. But, it, you know. But, but, you know, and that's not okay I did it, but the, the reality is, is you know, I'm going to mess up. And, you know, if someone says, man, I want a perfect pastor, then you're in the wrong church. It's not going to happen here. And, and if you knew everything wrong with me, some of you would go, why do we even let him preach? And if I knew everything about you, I probably wouldn't want to preach to you. You know, uh, you know, hey, you ready? Look around you. We all need to take off the veil. And there's freedom when you do that. No, we don't just live in the, in the imperfection. We allow the Lord to take us to perfection. But it has to start with us not trying to fool ourselves or others. And by the way, you cannot fool God. Only a fool would try to fool God. He knows you. He knows every thought, everything about you. Now, you ready for this? And he loves you. He couldn't love you more than he does. So take off the veil. 
and say, here I am. Now, what do you do next? Do you focus on self? No. You take off the veil and you focus on the Lord. See, notice what it says there in verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. How do I get transformed? How do you get transformed? Not by looking at me, by looking at him. The more I focus on Jesus, I see perfection. I'm caught up in it. I'm mesmerized by it. I, I end up being moved from glory to glory, step by step, into his wonderful image. And the more that happens, it's incredible. Now, if you haven't caught it, that's why you need to be in the Word of God every single day. Every day. You know, in the ITEL cards we gave out and they're in the chairs around you, we ask you to check certain things that will help you focus on the Lord. And by the way, why do we want you to fill this out and check every box? Because this is what it means to sell out to Christ. And when you write your name and turn this in, it creates accountability. And we want to do that with you. Why would you want to do something like that? Because you love the Lord. And we need to be in His Word every single day. Every day. Years ago, I was in the Word of God five days a week, and I'd take off too. But I want to tell you something I realized. As a husband, I'm not only a husband five days a week and take off too, right? And I realized as a follower of God, I can't be that way either. And so I determined a few years back, I'm just not going to miss a day. And, and so I've shared with some of you, after I passed day 100, I found myself loving it more than ever. A few days were hard up till then. Since then, it's not even been, I love it. It's my favorite time of the day. Anytime I can get to be with the Lord. And I'm excited to tell you this. Today is my 3,501 straight days of being with Jesus Christ. And... You know, I get out the word and my coffee and I talk with God and I read the word and I have him teach me things and I love it. And, and the more I do it, the more in tune I get with him and the more focused I get on him. And you can't focus on the Lord without being in his word. And not only being in his word, having his word in you, you're going to see that more in a minute. So we need to be intentionally intimate with him, focusing on him and then practicing my presence all through the day, just enjoying the presence of the Lord. And, and what, again, why would we do it? I'm going to go back to that. Here's the answer, because we love them. I don't get up in the morning to have my quiet time because I'm checking off a number. I, the number helps me, by the way. It may not help you, but it helps me to know. And I don't want to, you know, have to ever draw. But I get up in the morning because I want to spend time with him. I love him. Uh, uh, an easy illustration of that is just a week or so ago, I'm looking at Pam, and I thought, wow, man, she's awesome. She's gorgeous. And I, and I was staring at her. I didn't get up in the morning going, oh, today at five, I got to stare at Pam. You know, I'm just caught up in staring at her. And, and she looks, she goes, what are you looking at? And I said, I'm looking at you. And she said, why? And I, she goes, is something wrong? And I said, oh, anything but. And I mean this. I told her, I said, you get more beautiful every single day. You really do. I, I just love you. And some of you who don't know that there's a God, just take a look at Pam and I. There's no way I would get someone like her without God. It's a miracle. Beauty and the beast. I'm the beast. You know, and, uh, but, but here's, here's the thing. I do that with the Lord. I just love focusing on the Lord. The more you fall in love with him, you will too. Not only because, you know, I'm going to use the word, Jesus is beautiful. He is, by the way. A lot of people who don't know the Lord go, why would you use that word beauty? The beauty of the Lord. David said, I desire to behold the beauty of the Lord. Is that a good thing? Well, I'm going to give you an illustration, and I'm not trying to creep you out, but this really happened. Um, I was, one time, one time I went to the gym. The key word is one time. <laughs> one time I went to the gym. And, and so I'm at the gym, this is a few years ago, and I, I'm, I'm working out, and this gym allowed guys to take off their shirts when they worked out. 
And, and so I look over, and not very far away from me, and this, some of you all know the name, a lot of you won't, is a guy named Jim Youngblood. He played linebacker for the Rams. This was at the height of like, his, his career. And so here's this NFL football player, super famous, not very far away from me, with his shirt off, and he's lifting weights like I can't believe. And I'm over here looking, and he's just working and working, and he is ripped. I mean, he's big and muscles. I mean, you can see the definition in his shoulders and his biceps. I mean, it's a, he went, and I'm looking at this guy. He had pectoral muscles like you couldn't believe. And I don't think he had six packs. I think he had eight packs. I mean, he's like, oh, and every time he moved, man, his, his muscles rippled. And he was carrying immense weight. And so I am over here, and I'm staring at him. <laughs> and he turns, and we make eye contact. He caught me staring at him. And so I take my little 20-pounders, you know, and uh, it was embarrassing. Would you be? Yeah. But here's the thing. He was, and I'm going to use the word, he was awesome. The amount of weight he was lifting was awesome. The power he did it with, and to see the muscles ripple. Now, you may not agree with me, but I'm going to tell you something. I think incredibly muscular men, there's a beauty about it. Now, I don't know, you don't have to agree. I just think it, it's not just, it's incredibly, the way God designed those muscles and to see them that way and to watch it happening. And, and, and I was just caught up in it. There was power there. There was a maj- majesty to the way he ripped, there, his form, the way he lifted weights. By the way, as he's doing that, I'm thinking, okay, okay. And some of you are going, but you don't look like you've ever done that. Did I tell you one time I went to the gym? And... Uh, And here's the thing about the Lord. He's beautiful. If you don't know him, he is. He's majestic. He's powerful. He's awe-inspiring. And the more we look in the mirror and begin to get a glimpse of who he is and get closer and closer to his glory, the more transformed we become. It changes us. Now, I've got really good news for you. One day your body is going to be changed into an image that you're going to love. Every now and then I'll talk with someone and they'll say, hey, I'm trying to get in shape. Tell me what you did to lose all the weight. You know what the answer is? You ready? You already know the answer? Diet and exercise. Whenever you say that, they go, oh. (laughs) Isn't there like a pill I could take, you know? Uh, I mean, isn't there a a procedure I could undergo? Uh, You know, could I go to sleep and just wake up with a body like Jim Youngblood? You know, I... And, 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 and you know, I want to tell you, you ready? There is. You might go, wait, what? No, there is a magic book. There's a moment in time. It's called the rapture. When you get raptured or you get caught up into heaven, you get a new body. That's what it says in Philippians chapter 3. Look at this. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Are you ready for this? You don't have to do anything. Now, it's probably a good idea to get in shape, but even if you don't, guess what? One day when you go to meet the Lord, you're going to get this awesome body. When the rapture happens, I'm going to be like, whoa, look at this Jim Youngblood. You know, and uh, it's going to be, and, and, and some of you go, well, hey, don't say that because, you know, Chuck, you know, I, I, I mean, you're not going to eat correctly. And, and the other day I saw you eating this food that's not good for you. And my answer is I want to be sick when I die. And, uh, you know, and, and so... God wants us to obviously take care of ourselves and work on it, but are you ready for this? We 
get transformed. How? By the exertion of his power. How do I become Christ-like? By the exertion of his power. Now, I, I, clearly you go, well, wait a minute, I have to get in the word. Yeah, you got to get in the word to focus on him. Well, you know, i got to say no to some things. Yeah, you got to do that. But, but here's the thing. What really makes the difference is your focus. The more you look at him, the more you meditate on him, the more you spend time with him, and you open up to him with an unveiled face, saying no hiding, no holding back. By the way, that's the key, no holding back. Then, Lord, I, I'm going to take on your glory. I'm going to take it on a little at a time until one day I look and think, I cannot believe the difference you made, Lord. I cannot believe the difference you made and how it is. And, and so that's what we do. We focus on him. So we focus on him and are transformed. You ready? Number two, we abide in him and bear fruit. So we focus on him and get transformed. A disciple also abides in him and bears fruit. John chapter 15. I hope the, go ahead and turn there. Make sure you grab it. Even if it takes you a little while to get there, I'm going to read some and stop and you can catch up. Verse uh, 8, I want you to look at real quickly. Jump down to verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The reason I wanted to read that first is the section we're in is about discipleship. The section we're in, Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to be, and and a disciple bears much fruit, and that's the proof you're my disciples, because you bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you're not my disciple. But if you are my disciple, you will bear fruit. Look up to verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. You'll never bear fruit on your own. You've got to abide in him to do it. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of significance in your life will happen apart from Jesus Christ. And I mean that. Nothing. Nothing of value will truly happen apart from the Lord. Uh, You will never have the effect and effect that you could have unless you're with him and abiding in him. Yet if you abide in him, you live an effective, effective life empowered by him to make a difference. In every single way, everything in life becomes incredibly awesome, beautiful, amazing when you're living it with the Lord, abiding with him. And you have to abide. Now, I want to say this. You can't kind of abide. If you go, well, I'm kind of abiding. Well, then you're not. You're either abiding or you're not. It's like someone goes, I'm kind of pregnant. No, you're pregnant or not. You know, one or the other. You, if you're abiding, you're abiding. And, and you and I need to abide. That means we're implanted in him. We're in his word. The word's in us. We're focused on him. We're in, in, enamored by him and, and caught up in that. And we need to do that. Verse 6 says, what happens if we don't? If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If someone's hanging out with the Lord but they're not not really abiding, then they dry up. They don't have joy. They don't have the vitality. They they don't have all those. And he said, Jesus said, I'll just throw them away. I cast them aside. Jesus takes this very, very seriously. Jesus takes us seriously. You either bear fruit and are his, or you don't bear fruit and you're cast aside. You could say, pretend you're a Christian. You know, I'm a Christian, but there's no fruit. Well, then you're not his disciple. Uh, In Mark chapter 11, Jesus illustrated this powerfully when he walked up to a fig tree and there was no fruit on it and he cursed it and it died. And Peter said, look what you did. And the Lord began to talk about the need to bear fruit, but also the power that happens when you do 
actually live out his name. And we need to understand that disciples bear fruit. People who abide bear fruit. Those who are not really implanted do not. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me, now catch this next, and my words abide in you. Do you understand why it's so important to be in the word of God every day? And that's why it's important. You're not going to have this happen apart from that. It's like, you know, if I had an apple tree and I wanted to, to produce apples, but what happened is I, 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 you know, I derooted it and unplanted it and kept moving it around and throwing it here, and it would eventually die. But if it's planted correctly, it can bear apples. But I want to point out something about an apple tree. What makes it bear apples? Well, when it's planted correctly in good soil, nourished with water and sometimes fertilizer, has enough sunshine, apples just come out. It doesn't have to go, oh, make apples, make out. It doesn't do that, does it? By the way, I, I can't yell at it and have it make apples. Stupid apple tree, make out. Oh, I'm scared, I'll make apples. No, you, by the way, singing songs won't help it make apples. And I can go out there with my guitar and start singing it, wonderful music, and it's going to, ooh, apple. No, that isn't going to do it. By the way, I love praising God and worship, but you can't, not in the Word. It's not going to help. You've got to be in the Word. Then all that has meaning. By the way, I can't teach an apple tree to make apples. I can't go through the biochemical process and explain all the chemistry involved and, and the physics involved and, and then have it all of a sudden make apples. In the same way, I don't, if, if I preach the best sermons I could week after week after week and you're not abiding in the Lord and in his word, you're not going to change and you're not going to bear fruit. Now, we do need to come together, but none of this works unless we are implanted. By the way, I can't show the apple tree pictures and get apples out of it. I can't go, see, I want one of these. You know, that's just not going to do it. The process for fruit bearing happens in intimacy and in a relationship that's real. As I focus on him, I'm transformed. As I abide in him, what does Jesus say? I bear much fruit. And verse 8 now says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So see, that's what we need to do. Now, now, what occurs then? Are you ready? John chapter 13, turn over there. If I uh, uh, focus on him and am transformed, abide in him and bear fruit, then what happens in my life is I begin to be a loving person. I'm filled with the love of God. I love myself. I love one of the others around me. I, I love in his name. And then I am his disciple at that point. And John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Peace, patience, joy, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. But love is the preeminent fruit. If I am a loving person, I'll lead people to Christ, which is part of the fruit. If I love uh, 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 it, you know, the way God wants me to, my prayers are going to be more powerful, and I'm going to see fruit in that. If I love, I'm going to see effectiveness in knocking sin out of my life and fear. If I love, then I'm going to see all these other things happening. And how does that love happen? By focusing on him and being transformed, by abiding in him and having fruit, the fruit of love. And the fruit of the Spirit and all the other effects of it. But I've got to love. Now, do you remember what Cy Rogers said? You remember this? He said, maybe a better way to say love in our cultural setting is to say this, I value you. Because love is when you value someone. 
If I value the Lord and love the Lord, I'll want to spend time with him. And I'll want to be his. And I'll, I'll want to live a pleasing life. If I value you, I am going to feed energy into your life. Because when people value you and, and, and show how important you are to them, all of a sudden you soar. And, and, and when we go out and, and show that people matter, then, then we need to understand it changes them. And that's what love does. Love transforms. And, and, and so I want to tell you something. You're valuable to God. He could not value you more than he does. You are so valuable. Jesus went to the cross and died and shed his blood for you. And whether you understand all the ramifications of that or not, here's the one you can get. He loves you so much he'd lay down his life for you. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for you. He died for you. He, there's, you're worth more than all the money in the world to God. You're priceless. He values you and he wants that love flowing out of you. Robert Morris is a pastor in Dallas, Texas. And uh, right now, man, they're an amazing church. We're going to take a lot of our staff to go see that church so we can learn from them. But, but here's what I want you to grab. is uh, Years ago, when Robert Morris went to this church in Dallas, they were running 180 people. Today, they're running 18,000 people. Uh, God's just booming, blessing them, and they're booming. But, but when he got there, he was disappointed, like a lot of young pastors are. Because the elders' meetings were business meetings. And he was like, well, aren't we going to pray? And they didn't know they just always did business. They didn't pray. And he thought, man, we got to change this. We got, that's just not right. we got to pray. And, and so one night, he was at third or fourth elders meeting. He's walking towards the room the elders are going to meet in. And he bumps into a lady who she looks lost and she looks a little, little depressed, emotionally down. And he looked at her and he said, hey, can I help you? And she said, well, tomorrow I'm having a surgery and I'm so scared. And I was wondering if, if someone here could pray with me. And he said, hey, I've got the elders. They'll pray with you. You wait here. So he goes in the elders meeting. He said, guys, now you know what? This really should be a prayer meeting. And tonight's the night we could probably, we could start. There's a lady outside who, uh, she is having surgery. She's scared to death and she needs prayer. And I want to tell you, before I bring her in, her net worth is off the charts said, I know this lady, and I know probably you'll take a look at her and not get it. It's kind of like a Sam Walton. Remember Sam Walton drove an old pickup truck? He said, her net worth is off the charts, so don't be fooled. So they're all like, oh, oh. So they, he brings her in, and man, every guy's meeting her and getting her name, and, and they have her sit down, and, and man, they're tuned into her, and it's like, tell us your story, and they're on the edge of their seats, and they can't give her enough attention. And then when it's time for prayer, man, they're praying and praying and praying over her, like, man, with power. And, and then when it's, it's done, they're all like giving her a phone number. If you need anything, here's my number. And, and she's like, oh, and she could not have felt more loved and more. And she walked out of there, literally, like with all of the depression gone and, and more boldness than ever and encouraged and she gets out the door and one of the guys says so how much do you think she's worth and Robert Morris said the blood of Jesus Christ the blood of Christ he said by the way she's a single mom better barely making it but her net worth is off the charts right and you know what so is yours by the way so is the person next to you and the one in the row in front of you and behind you. Jesus could not love you more than he does. And he couldn't want more for you than the life that he wants to give you. And I want to tell you today that if you're not experiencing that, then here's what you need to do. Open up to him. Take off the veil. 
and say, here I am, Lord, take me. If you're here today and you're someone who's a Christian, and, and I'm going to use that word in a good way, but you're not living in a life where you're, you're totally experiencing him and you're not completely committed, I'm going to ask you today to recommit. Don't walk out of here the same. By the way, don't walk out of here and go, okay, I'll try. Make today a day you'll never forget by praying this prayer with me in a moment. I'm going to ask you to pray. And by the way, I want to say this. Please don't anybody leave until we're done with this time. This time's too important. I want to challenge you right now to make it that important. I'm going to ask you that if you're here today and you're not completely his, that, that you pray that prayer with me, and in a moment I'm going to ask you to make your way to an island and come forward so this day is a day like no other. This is a day you will never forget. And I'm going to ask you, say, God, here I am, no holding back. I'm going to tell you that, and I'm going to show it. I'm going to show you and show myself and mark this day as special. I'm going to whisper those words, and then I'm going to come to the side, and I'm going to walk forward here saying, I'm his, I'm his. And, and then we're going to greet you and have you go in this room and give you things to help you grow in Christ. And we're going to remember this day with you and for you. By the way, if you're brand new, if you've never given your life to Christ, or you're just even new to Crossroads, but you know you need to come to him, I'm going to ask you to do something. How do you enter into this love relationship? You say yes. He wants you. You whisper a prayer with me and we'll just pray it. And you just say yes to him. And by the way, it doesn't matter what's happened in your life or how bad it's been. Maybe things are done to you. Say yes to him and let him heal you. Maybe you've done some things. He couldn't love you more than he does. Pam and I know as broken people, he's great at putting the pieces back together and making it better than ever. So open up and pray this prayer with us. And then after you do, I'm going to ask you to make this day incredibly special. The Bible says when you share with the Lord this private commitment, it needs to be shown in a more public way, an outward way. So I'm going to ask you to do something scary. If you pray the prayer, I mean, I'm going to ask you to make your way to an aisle. You could bring someone with you. People would love to let you out or to the stairs. I'm going to ask you to walk down here and let us greet you and head in this room. And something happens when you pray the prayer and something happens when you do something that courageous by stepping out. And it takes both. So today, let's pray. And I'm going to ask God to touch and stir. Are you ready to say yes to him? Are you ready to say, I'm going to be completely his? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would stir in this room. And I pray, oh God, that you would touch every man and woman, guy and girl who needs to say yes to you. Lord, I pray this would be their day. I pray, God, that they would know that this is the day that they can literally let your love come upon them and change them from the inside out. Some need to come back to you and some for the first time. But Lord, I pray you touch them. If you're ready for this life he has for you and the love he has for you, if you're ready to let God draw you close so you have a personal relationship that's intimate with him, if you're ready to have him pull all the things off of you that have been hurting you, cast it aside, and start living. Pray this prayer with me. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. Just say that. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin, to heal me from hurt and from pain, to free me, to set me free from my past, from myself, and from fear. You want me to be yours. So I say yes. Yes, I want you, and yes, I want this life. So please fill me with your spirit. 
fill me with your love and draw me close to you and make me yours completely. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God.